I mean, one of the things that being at a Jesuit university has taught me is that you have to have tough conversations because you're never ever going to go anywhere if you don't have them, right? We're just going to be caught in a kind of cycle, right, of what you would call, right, what a lot of people have called toxic masculinity. In the last year, the phrase Me Too has become shorthand for survivors of sexual assault and harassment speaking out against their assailants. At the same time, the term toxic masculinity has also entered the public conversation as a potential culprit for unrestrained, unresolved hostility toward women. Jacqueline Reich, a professor and chair of Fordham's Department of Communication and Media Studies, is a scholar in the subject of masculinity. In addition to the 2004 book Marcello Mastroianni, Masculinity and Italian Cinema, she co-wrote with Catherine O'Raw the 2015 book Stars, Masculinity in Italian Cinema. We sat down with her to talk about how shifting attitudes in both the United States and Italy have affected her own work. I'm Patrick Verrill, and this is Fordham News. What is masculinity studies, and how does studying masculinity differ from the ways in which one studies feminism? Well, masculinity studies grew out of feminist criticism, well, at least the way I practice it. So I'll tell you sort of how I got involved in it. And um, I was a graduate student, and I was working on my dissertation, which was on the representation of women in films during the fascist period. And I started thinking to myself, well, I'm looking at female representations, right? Shouldn't I be looking at the representation of men? So at the same time that I'm starting to think about this, uh, Marcello Mastroianni passes away in 1996. And all of the obituaries in the United States started talking about him as this Latin lover and this great icon of style on the Italian screen. Italian ones focused uh, on his sort of overall star persona, his contributions, his work with actresses, his works with Federico Fellini. Um, not that the American ones didn't mention that as well, but still it was a kind of different sort of paradigm. So the kind of way that I look at masculinity studies in particular reference to cinema is obviously about representation, right? We know that what we see on the screen is not real. Right? We know we believe it is a representation of something. But when we interrogate this notion of masculinity, what we need to think about is that all gender is constructed. It's also changeable, right? It's negotiable, and it fluctuates uh, from culture to culture. So we're talking about a cultural construction here. And this particular cultural construction of the Latin lover I discovered emerged more from American constructs of what Italianness meant in a masculine perspective rather than what uh, actually appears on screen. But if we're going back to masculinity studies and its reference to and how it grew out of feminist criticism, we have to think about the ideas of the feminist and critic of the feminist critic and philosopher Judith Butler, who talks about the whole performative nature of gender. Right? So much of our own identities are performative anyway, right? So if you are a daughter, you are expected to behave in a certain way. If you are a wife, you are expected to behave in a certain way. In many ways, what you see in the films of Mastriani is him performing certain types of masculine roles and at the same time undermining them, right? In which you, you kind of look deeper, you see there's just a lot of conflict going on there. 
right? There's someone, as opposed to being this very cool, suave, debonair uh, ideal, is stylish as well, right? Is really kind of a schlemiel, uh, a guy who can't get anything right. Now, your area research touches on depictions of masculinity on the screen. Has it changed in appreciable ways since you first started studying it? I would say in Hollywood cinema, not so much. Right? Hollywood films are written. The standard is this kind of three-act structure. The three-act structure has a status quo ethos built into it, right? Because it's about conflict and resolution. You, not that you necessarily have to have a happy ending of a film, but you can have a satisfactory ending of a film where you see it changing. Uh, what we might call quality TV, which started with The Sopranos. You see men who are um, imperfect, who are conflicted. Even so, right, another spoiler alert, you get to the end of The Sopranos and the screen goes black. Right? There is no resolution. I've just finished binge watching Friday Night Lights for instance. Now there's an interesting representation. Football aside, I think what's really brilliant about the series is the way in which the wife and the husband interact, right? And she has a career. Uh, and again, I'm, I, you got your listeners are going to hate me because I'm giving them all these spoiler alerts. I'm going to spoil <laughs> everything for them. And mostly she has supported his career. At the end, in the last episode, she gets a really great job as dean of admissions at a college. And it would require him leaving Texas and leaving his job, and he does. And that's something probably we would have never seen. Now, a key aspect of your book about Italian actors such as Marcello Mastroianni is this masculine anxiety, which is when masculinity manifests itself as an anger that is reactionary and defensive and destructive rather than productive. Tell me a little bit more about this anxiety. I think everyone is resistant to change. In Italy, the post-war and post-fascist, we have to remember, uh, period was a time of reconstruction and rebuilding, but it was also a profound time of change. Uh, after the Marshall Plan, uh, after the end of World War II, Italy's economy started booming. What's fueling this, right? New industry. You can't just have men doing it all. Women go into the workforce. Also, Italy, like the United States in the mid to late 60s was a period it was a period of radical social and political change and political and social activism that produces a lot of anxiety so naturally some of this anxiety comes out right in the roles that are represented on screen where do you see it manifest itself today and and what do you think we should do to stop it I don't know that we necessarily have to do anything to stop different kinds of representations of anxiety, but I do see a real shift. And I think that this anxiety that we saw on screen and a kind of general cultural anxiety has now shifting into anger. And so here I'm kind of referencing the work of Susan Faludi in her book Stift and Michael Kimmel in Angry White Men. And their main thesis is that white men are angry. And what Kimmel has called this kind of anger, and he did a very interesting sociological study of it, he's called it aggrieved entitlement. 
right? And he defines aggrieved entitlement as the sense that those benefits to which you believe yourself entitled have been snatched away from you by unforeseen forces larger and more powerful. He concludes that the social cure for angry white men involves challenging the ideology of masculinity that's passed on from father to son. What I think history has shown us, unfortunately, is that dialogue and understanding aren't enough that we kind of have to question the structures, the institutions, and the economic powers that not just perpetuate aggrieved entitlement, but entitlement itself. So you gotta ask yourself, why is one person entitled to something, anything other than another? I think in this case, I've been affected by my time at Fordham and thinking, and some of my experiences with Ignatian pedagogy Ignatius would say that we are all human beings who deserve God's love. Why do they feel entitled to begin with? I mean, to me, that's easy. As a white man, you say, well, white men have always had control of everything here. Why? Right? And that's the question. I mean, one of the things that being at a Jesuit university has taught me is that you have to have tough conversations because you're never, ever going to go anywhere if you don't have them, right? We're just going to be caught in a kind of cycle, right, of what you would call, right, what a lot of people have calling toxic masculinity. So you have to have these tough conversations that not only address why people are angry, why people are anxious, but why people are entitled.